Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. All right, um, everyone, welcome to today's episode. And today we'll be discussing liposarcomas uh, with our guest, who we'll be introducing very shortly. Um, before we go any further, we do um, always talk about our previous episode, which was focused on the more benign entity, a more common lipomas, uh, as well as maybe the precursors to what we're talking about or uh, a subgroup of what we're talking about today, the atypical lipomatous tumor. For our episode today, uh, we'll be having our guest, who is Dr. Peter Ferguson. He is currently the chair of orthopedics. I'm professor of orthopedics at University of Toronto. Um, he works out of the hospital, the Mount Sinai Hospital and Princess Margaret Hospitals. He uh, did his residency training out in Toronto, uh, as well as his fellowship, partly in Toronto and at the Royal Orthopedic Hospital in the UK. Um, he is uh, really, <laughs> uh, for me, a mentor and a friend and uh, just an overall amazing person. And uh, we're so excited to have him today. Welcome. Thanks very much, Izu, for the introduction. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is going back to one of our usual type of uh, episodes where we focus on a particular diagnosis. And as Izu mentioned, our previous episode was focused on more benign versions of fatty tumors like lipomas and atypical li lipomatous tumors, um, which we described as sort of benign adjacent in a way. Um, but today's episode, we're going to be focusing on the malignant or cancerous version of fatty tumors, which are liposarcomas. Break that down a little bit further. What is a liposarcoma? So, so a liposarcoma is really um, uh, a malignant tumor that arises from uh, cells that are derived from, from fat or fat, fat precursor cells. Uh, it, it's really interesting, actually, group of tumors because there's really four distinct types uh, and, you know, I think we can get into talking about these in a little bit of detail, but uh, it sounds like the one that you've touched on a little bit previously, a typical lipomatous tumor is something that, that used to be called well-differentiated or, or grade one or low-grade liposarcoma. And it's something that has a fantastic prognosis. Um, people really don't need to be generally concerned about this, this type of diagnosis. And, and that's the reason why we've tried to get away from calling it a, a sarcoma at all. And I've started calling it this entity called atypical lipomatous tumor. So, um, so I mean, that's, that's one subtype. Um, and uh, it's a sort of thing that we really don't treat like, like a cancer. The next subtype is something called uh, dedifferentiated liposarcoma, which is, you know, quite interesting because it arises from this precursor uh, benign or benign aggressive lesion, uh, atypical lipomatous tumor, where it turns into a high-grade, more aggressive sort of cancer, and it can metastasize as opposed to the, the atypical lipomatous tumor, which doesn't. The next one is a, is a very interesting uh, subtype called myxoid liposarcoma, and it's interesting for, for various reasons, including the fact that it spreads to very strange places, unlike you know, most other types of sarcomas. And it's really, really responsive to radiation, and, and it'll, it'll often shrink considerably and even sometimes almost disappear with, with radiation. And then the fourth type is, is something called pleomorphic liposarcoma, which is almost indistinguishable from other types of high-grade aggressive sarcomas. It's got a high chance of metastasizing, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty nasty actor. So um, those are the four subtypes, and they all behave very, very differently. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a great summary. And it's important to recognize that 
in, in sarcomas, we're often talking about one umbrella and then we keep subcategorizing it further and further. So liposarcoma is our umbrella word for all of these different subtypes, as you mentioned, which behave fairly differently. Um, and so it's important to know exactly what kind it is. So thank you for that summary. Um, Izu, any other thoughts on that? Uh, no, that, I mean, that was, that was well put. And really, you know, these are very common, you know, sarcomas, uh, probably the second most common soft tissue sarcomas in adults that sarcoma surgeons would see relatively uh, frequently uh, as well. And so the next, you know, question I have, uh, you know, I sort of led into it by talking about adults, but, you know, a question for you, uh, Dr. Ferguson, is who, who would generally get diagnosed with liposarcoma age group-wise? Um, and when it does occur for people, where in the body would it usually occur? Yeah, so, um, I mean, like most soft tissue sarcomas, they tend to be um, ones that arise in, in patients that are a little bit older, um, you know, often over 50 or 60. Now, the, the one exception to that is the myxoid liposarcoma, which is actually often found in, in younger individuals. So people certainly in their 20s and 30s. But the other subtypes, the the, uh, the de-differentiated and the pleomorphic one are often people who are, who are a little bit older. The uh, question of anatomic location is actually a really interesting one, Izu because, I mean, we see as orthopedic oncologists a lot of these in, in the extremities, and um, they, they behave actually somewhat differently. Uh, in particular, the, the low-grade one or the, the atypical lipomatous tumor. So there is a bit of a, a artificial separation, I guess, um, you can say, in terms of these things when they arise in the extremities, in the arms and the legs, versus in the abdomen where our general surgical colleagues would deal with them. So, um, you know, I said earlier that these have a very good prognosis, but that's really for us when they arise in the extremities and, and for our patients, because they're virtually never life-threatening, this, this atypical lipomatous tumor slash low-grade liposarcoma. If you put the same, the exact same tumor in the abdomen, then by definition, it's called low-grade liposarcoma, and it can become very challenging for our general surgical colleagues to treat. Um, these can recur quite frequently, and, and it can be a fatal condition uh, in some circumstances for people who, uh, who develop them in the abdomen and the retroperitoneum. So I think it's an important point to make um, that it's uh, you know entirely different sort of behavior and oftentimes entirely different treatment as well. Uh, if these things occur, these low-grade fatty tumors, if they occur in, in the arms and legs versus in the abdomen. Right. Uh, and would would it be fair to say to some degree, because there's more space in the abdomen, that these can get so large that, that they become more bothersome or difficult to take out? Would that weigh into that as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think in the arms and the legs, it's pretty easy to for a patient to identify a soft tissue mass when it appears and, and also for a physician to do so. But in the abdomen, these things can get really quite large before the patient even notices it or they develop any symptoms whatsoever. And, uh, you know, absolutely, these things often envelop critical organs, kidneys, you know, blood vessels, nerves, bowel, and so on. So it makes it much more challenging for our general surgical colleagues to remove. Yeah, and we, we kind of, as you mentioned, we touched on that in the last episode, the atypical hypomatous tumor or well-differentiated liposarcoma and how that naming differentiation is based on the location. Um, 
So kind of just to summarize that, again, that naming change to atypical ipomatous tumors strictly for in the extremities, this is just for our listeners to understand, because it behaves more like a benign process, but the same tumor under a microscope uh, behaves much more aggressively in, in the abdomen. Yeah, and, and the treatment as well. I mean, we, we treat right. these, you know, like a benign tumor in, in the extremities and our general surgeons treat them like a, a true malignancy in the abdomen. Uh, these patients will often get radiation, whereas we rarely use them uh, in the extremities these days. Right, right. And Easy was kind of mentioning this a little bit as well, and, and, and you also, but how do patients with a liposarcoma typically present in your office? Yeah, again, it, it depends a little bit on the uh, on the subtype, uh, but for the most part, these people present with uh, one of two things, either a growing mass uh, or pain. Uh, the mass can be painful or it can be painless, but, uh, you know, quite often they present with a, with a growing mass and it's a variable duration. People who have the, the atypical lipomatous tumor or even the de-differentiated subtype may have had a mass there for many, many years. Whereas those that have the the pleomorphic subtype or the myxoid liposarcoma often have a more recent mass that's developed. Great. Yeah. And that's um, pretty similar to, I think, a lot of the other soft tissue tumors and sarcomas that we treat. So that that alone is generally not, not enough to say what kind of tumor it is and usually leads to the, the next step. So uh, easy way. I'll, I'll let you kind of ask the next question, but uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and 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 so we have a patient, you know, who's had this enlarged mass present to you often um, to the office. What are you thinking? What are you telling them in terms of their uh, imaging studies that you're going to get uh, for diagnosis? And you know, if you're considering biopsies for these patients, you always biopsy all of these tumors uh, as well. Yeah, so uh, I mean, you know, Izu, uh, you know what we what we teach um, that that there's general three things that um, that I look at when I'm seeing somebody with an extremity soft tissue mass. Uh, one is the size. One is the location, meaning is it is it just under the skin or is it deep to the fascia, deep in the muscle? And the third thing is it directly overlying important things like bones, nerves, and blood vessels. And so if a soft tissue lump meets any one of those criteria, then then they automatically uh, get an MRI scan, which is the the imaging test of choice for looking at these these soft tissue masses. Um, the, the interesting thing about uh, these entities is that they can often be um, almost diagnosed based on the MRI scan. I mean, we, we will you know certainly do biopsies on a lot of these people, and, and we can talk about the different subtypes and the indications for biopsy. But they have very distinct features on MRI scans. You know, in particular the the low grade or atypical lipomatous tumor, the de-differentiated uh, type, as well as the myxoid liposarcoma. Very, very typical features. Yeah, definitely. And um, maybe would you be willing to talk about some of the imaging features you see that lead you in one direction or another with some of these subtypes? For sure. So, so uh, I mean, the atypical lipomatous tumor is, is pretty easy. Um, it looks like uh, the fat that we all have under our skins, uh, some of us more than others. Um, and uh, it's got very typical appearance on what are called T1 and T2 weighted MRI sequences, and it looks just the same as the subcutaneous fat that's uh, that's everywhere else in the arm and the leg. The D-differentiated subtype 
can largely look like that as well, except that you often have a, a large area in it that is is sort of the opposite on the MRI scan, meaning it's bright on the T1 and dark on the T2. And so you have this big nodular area that's right in the middle of this, this fatty tumor. And that's important uh, to, to really scrutinize because when you biopsy this, and it, and it does need a biopsy, you want to go for that part that doesn't look like the low-grade fat. You want to go for the part that looks like the, the uh, you know, more typical, you know, high-grade sarcoma appearance. Uh, mixoid liposarcoma is very interesting because it, it, it's very sort of soupy and syrupy. And, and as a result, on the T2 MRI sequence, it's very, very bright. That's one feature. The other thing is that it often is, and in fact, the this is the same for the mixoid liposarcoma and the dedifferentiated and low-grade liposarcomas. They often arise in an intermuscular location, meaning, meaning between muscles, and push the muscles out of the way. So those are the features that would uh, make me think that we're dealing with a dedifferentiated liposarcoma or a mixoid liposarcoma. Pleomorphic liposarcoma really is not discernible from any other type of high-grade sarcoma. It's often in the muscle. Um, it doesn't have any features or quite often doesn't have any features that suggest it's coming from fat. Um, and it's not until you it gets a biopsy where the pathologist can look at it on the microscope and identify sort of the features that would allow them to classify it as this type of sarcoma. Great. Well, thank you for that that summary. That was really helpful, I think, um, for our listeners to understand that a little bit more. And I think that highlights particularly for the instance of dedifferentiated liposarcoma when there's a discrete region within an, an other lesion that looks largely benign that you want to target with that biopsy to make sure you're getting that tissue that really is of concern. So that's where us having a good relationship with our radiologists and, and, and communication is really important. Yeah, and we've talked about that tumor board and uh, usually will be a situation or the, the place where the, all this will be discussed, bringing together those imaging findings as well as the findings from a biopsy. Um, some other things on the biopsy that we do want to touch on are, uh, for example, we do know some of these, um, some of these uh, liposarcomas or at least the ALTs. Um, We'll have some stains that are positive, like a MDM2. Could you tell us what role this plays for you in terms of your evaluation of these tumors? Yeah, so um, I must admit, I don't often biopsy the low-grade uh, fatty tumors. Um, but if, if we do, if there is some element of complexity uh, or, or heterogeneity where we do biopsy it, then we would look to the pathologist and this particular, this test, this MDM2 expression or um, to be able to discern between a lipoma and a, an atypical lipomatous tumor. So lipomas do not express MDM2, uh, whereas uh, atypical lipomatous tumors do. The other thing that is helpful in is uh, diagnosing the, um, the dedifferentiated liposarcoma because that also expresses uh, MDM2. So if that I mean, this this diagnosis really is a is a key product of multidisciplinary discussions. So the pathologist would want input from the radiologist in terms of what it looks like on imaging, and um, and vice versa, right? The radiologist would uh, want to know what the pathology uh, looks like. But if we've got a lesion that where it's a little bit unclear, uh, but it does express MDM two, then really um, there are very few things that that ultimately do that. 
you know, de-differentiated liposarcoma would be the, the most common one. So uh, if we get a sort of a nondescript tumor, a nondescript malignancy, and the pathologist do their special stains and it expresses MDM2, then they will say, oh, this is then obviously a de-differentiated liposarcoma, even if there isn't a lot of the low-grade fatty component to it. Yes. And, and so for a patient, you know, if they do not get a biopsy beforehand and they have this fatty tumor, they, they, the MDM2 test will still be done after the whole tumor is resected. Yeah, the, the pathologists still do it, in particular for large tumors. Um, okay. And, you know, why do they do that? Because we really don't treat them any differently. Um, okay. You know, we remove them pretty much the same. We, we take them out without much of a margin of normal tissue around it. Uh, really, what it comes down to is predicting the risk of local recurrence for the patient. Uh, lipomas have a, a really a negligible risk of local recurrence. And Atypical lipomatous tumors or low-grade liposarcomas in the extremities have have a, a finite risk of local recurrence. I, I quote patients somewhere around sort of 15 to 20 percent. So uh, that's the sort of patient that you may then want to follow sequentially for a local recurrence in the future, whereas we wouldn't typically do that for lipoma. So uh, that's really the importance of the MDM2, where that comes in. Thank you for that. Um, and then we've, we've really gone a lot into the different types that you talked about, just to um, go over it for everyone who's listening. We have the one with multiple names, so well-differentiated or low-grade or atypical lipomatous tumor. We have the de-differentiated, right, which is we'll have the MRI with uh, fatty, normal fatty parent tissue with different nodular areas. We would have the mixoid, which is the appearance of, that's bright on the MRI. And we have the pleomorphic, which is extremely high-grade. Um, but can you, and we've touched on some of this, but just, I just want to collate it for everyone. Uh, you talked a bit about the outcomes and how great, much better the outcomes are for a well-differentiated or a typical lipomatous tumor for local recurrence and the chance of it coming back and going somewhere else. Can you touch on that for the other uh, types as well? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I'm going to talk about mixoid, first of all, because mixoid, in fact, has, has, generally a very good prognosis. Um, it, and for a couple of reasons, uh, one, it just overall has a has a low risk of metastasizing. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, and we may want to get into this a little bit later, it can go to very strange places. But it, the overall risk of metastasis is, is pretty low. It's in the neighborhood of about, you know, maybe about 15 to 20% at most. Um, it's generally considered a, a low to intermediate grade sarcoma. That's what the pathologist would grade it as. Um, it's also got a very low risk of local recurrence. And the reason for that is because we generally treat it with radiation. And radiation is so, so effective in this, uh, in this type of sarcoma, more so than any other type of sarcoma that we treat, any other type of cancer that we treat. So radiation invariably causes these to shrink considerably. And we really don't see that with any other type of sarcoma. And what that also does is it sterilizes the area outside the tumor, kills off little individual cells that would otherwise potentially lead to a local recurrence. And, and what that does, that shrinkage of the tumor allows us uh, to, to remove a lot less normal tissue than would otherwise be the case. And so this particular tumor, we end up removing with very, very close margins, typically very thin layer of normal tissue so that we can save nerves and blood vessels and so on. 
But the risk of local recurrence, despite those very, very thin margins, is very, very low. It's, it's, it's you know, way below 5%. Whereas in other types of tumors in general, it's probably somewhere between 7 and 10%. Um, so it has a better prognosis. The other two, dedifferentiated liposarcoma and uh, pleomorphic liposarcoma, generally have a, have a, a worse prognosis. Dedifferentiated liposarcoma, it probably is a bit of a product of the amount of that particular tumor that has undergone dedifferentiation. So sometimes we see people that's got a very, have a very small nodule in the middle of all that, that fat. And that person probably has a very good prognosis, whereas sometimes we see them with a very large mass, 10 centimeters, 15 centimeters, and that patient probably has somewhat poor prognosis. Um, uh, pleomorphic liposarcoma is by definition a high-grade sarcoma or a grade three sarcoma. So um, it, when you look at the risk factors, including grade and size, if you have a large tumor that is greater than five centimeters and it's deep in the muscle and it is high grade, then usually that person has got somewhere around a 50 to 60% risk of developing metastases during their lifetime. And in the dedifferentiated component, I would say it would probably be uh, similar to that as long as you are really just looking at the, the high grade part or that nodular part within the tumor. I believe you, you guys uh, or out of Toronto have published on this. Yeah, yeah, we have. So we've published um, fairly extensively on on sort of definitions of margins um, uh, when it comes to resecting soft tissue sarcomas and and really what's a safe margin. Um, you know, it depends on several factors, um, and and typically we look at them as as surgical factors as well as tumor factors or biological factors, right? So sometimes somebody has a positive margin um, because of of sort of inadvertent um, dissection on our part where we uh, dissect through an area of the tumor that, you know, maybe it's not concordant with the MRI scan and, and we end up cutting through a tumor inadvertently. Um, and that would be associated with uh, an increased risk of local recurrence. But then you've got other types of tumors that are very infiltrative. They grow, send out little roots all the way through the surrounding tissue. And sometimes we'll be well away from the edge of the tumor executing our surgical plan and still get a positive margin. And so that's reflective of the, the, the you know, more the biology of the tumor. So um, in general, if you can uh, resect the tumor with just a very, a, a negative margin, or really what a negative margin means is that um, you don't ever see the tumor when you take it out. That's probably the simplest way to put it. The surgeon never sees the tumor that's covered by a thin or a thick layer of normal tissue everywhere. And if you're able to do that, and quite often if you've given the patient radiation, then that risk of local recurrence is pretty low. As I said, probably in the area of about 7 to 10%. Sometimes um, these tumors are right up close against important things, nerves, blood vessels, bone. And sometimes it's so, so close, and, and we're so intent on saving these structures that once we've removed it or dissected it off these important structures, we're looking right at the tumor. So we sort of um, uh, sort of sacrifice that concept of not looking at the tumor. But 
in this situation, we've done it to save a critical structure. Well, we've also shown that in that situation where we have a positive margin, but it's against a, a, an important structure like a nerve or a bone or a blood vessel, then the risk of local recurrence is also pretty low, um, probably still in the area of about 7 to 10%. So it's worthwhile um, you know, for the surgeon to try to save important structures so that people can have better function as long as you utilize radiation as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you for summarizing that and for all the research that you're doing at your institution looking at this. This is something that uh, I think all of us as surgeons are particularly interested in and our patients as well would like us to be able to provide uh, options for limb salvage as much as possible. And we're starting to show when that is and isn't safe. So that's um, really important. And so you touched on this a bit that radiation often does play a big role in treatment of these kinds of tumors and particularly is effective for the myxoid subtype. Um, can you talk a little bit about if any of these patients ever get chemotherapy or other systemic treatment um, and what's been shown on that front in yeah. terms of its role? Yeah, it's, it's a, uh, that's a really good question. It's one that we debate all the time. Um, I, I would say that the answer to that is somewhat um, sort of, say, jurisdiction dependent. Um, there are parts of the world where anybody who has a, a, a large high-grade sarcoma will receive chemotherapy because patients, you know, essentially have a, a risk of developing metastases uh, in the neighborhood, as I said, of about 50 or 60 percent in their lifetime. Um, there have been some studies that that show that by giving chemotherapy, you can maybe decrease that likelihood of developing metastases by a little bit, uh, but it, it's not it's not it's not a huge amount. It's not like a lot of other types of tumors that we deal with. And you guys have talked about osteosarcoma previously, where you know the the metastatic risk can be decreased substantially from you know around about ninety percent to say about thirty percent. That's not the case with soft tissue sarcomas in, in general. You know, maybe it would decrease it by maybe 10% over the course of like five to 10 years. So, um, but in some jurisdictions, that's good enough. And people will say, perfect, I'll take it and I, and I will get chemotherapy. I must say that um, we don't, and I think most centers, in, you know, in North America probably do not use chemotherapy universally for people who have localized sarcoma, meaning sarcoma that is just contained in the arm and the leg. Now, it may be a different story if um, the patient presents and they already have metastases, then in that situation, you know, you want to offer them some treatment that is going to treat not only that primary tumor, but also uh, the, the tumors elsewhere, right? So doing radiation and surgery on a tumor in the leg where they've already got tumors in their lungs doesn't really make a lot of sense right off the bat. So that's a situation where um, somebody would potentially get chemotherapy to start with. Another situation might be where uh, limb salvage isn't possible, where the tumor is so, so big and grown around nerves and blood vessels and, and things like that, that we might say, okay, let's see if we can maybe shrink this tumor somewhat using chemotherapy in the hopes that uh, we would then be able to save their arm or the leg as opposed to offering them an amputation. Yeah, thank you for that, because this is actually a uh what we just talked about now, you know, we've had a bunch of questions about this um, from some of our followers online, uh, Instagram uh, as well, and and really inquiring about that and the, the role of the various uh, adjuvant treatments that we have um, in treating treating patients. So 
Thank you for that. Uh, and also, I'd like to say, you know, we, we uh, would talk a little bit. We always try to bring up research and research articles. We'll have a link to the study we're discussing regarding margins uh, uh, as part of the episode description, if you would like to read some more of that as well. So can I, can I say one thing about uh, myxoid liposarcoma? I don't know if you're going to get on it. Um, you, but you, can, you can say as much as, as, much as you perfect. want. Perfect. So, so this is something I think is really important if you've got listeners listening in who uh, have this diagnosis, okay? Um, so, you know, I talked about one of the strange things about myxoid liposarcoma is that it can, it can spread to unusual places. So, so almost every other soft tissue sarcoma that we deal with, if it spreads, about 95% of the time it spreads to the lungs. And People typically can't feel it. They don't notice it. It doesn't cause symptoms when it's in the lungs. And, and usually we, we can only find those metastases by chest x-rays or CAT scan when we follow them along. Mixoid liposarcoma is really different. And, and we've also done some research on this um, that shows uh, the most common places it metastasizes is, in fact, not the lungs. So it, it often metastasizes to other soft tissue, uh, to bones to uh to the into the abdomen or what's called the retroperitoneum into the chest and uh the, the majority of patients do not have uh lung metastases alone uh if they do have lung metastases it's also in concert with these other metastases so so one of the things that anybody who has myxoid liposarcoma really needs to know is if they get any strange symptom anywhere from for any reason they need to let their their oncologist know uh if they get a strange pain somewhere uh that's unexplained they need to let us know right away if they notice a, a new bump somewhere they need to let us know right away um that's you know I, i've seen people who who've you know presented with uh some wheezing and they had a large metastatic lips myxoid liposarcoma in in their throat you know wrapped around their their trachea in their throat so um headaches, you know, with, with brain metastases. So people with this tumor, even though the prognosis is very good, need to be aware of any unusual symptoms anywhere, and they need to come and see us right away. Yeah. And thank you for that. Um, and that, that leads us into sort of my next question, uh, surveillance after treatment. Uh, and so for, for those patients who have mixoid liposarcoma or, or any of the other liposarcomas that we had talked about, um, but we can do mixoid first. What are you doing in terms of uh, imaging studies for these patients? Are you doing, you know, total body MRIs? You, MR, you know, what are you doing a scan? Or what, what, what would you do for these patients uh, with mixoid if they can have tumors that can go anywhere? Yeah, yeah, it's an excellent question. I, I mean, things have um, have changed over the years. Um, you know, as we've understood a little bit better the natural history of these entities. Uh, I mean, with mixoid liposarcoma, we used to treat them like other types of sarcomas and just do chest x-rays. And then we started to do CAT scans of the chest and abdomen and pelvis um, and, and actually an MRI of the spine on people on a regular basis. But, um, you know, this research study that, that we did suggested that even doing that, we would miss uh, a fair number of tumors. We could have people that would have bone metastases that would not show up on, on a CAT scan, for example. And so uh, we started using a total body MRI scan at the time of diagnosis uh, and uh, typically uh, annually thereafter for surveillance for people with myxoid liposarcoma. It's probably the most sensitive test to be able to, uh, to detect any of these uh, unusual metastases. And, and, you know, we found some 
patients who've had these lesions that are found um, and they've been completely asymptomatic. For the other ones, for, for dedifferentiated liposarcoma and pleomorphic liposarcoma, they, they tend to metastasize the same way that other sarcomas do, which is predominantly the lungs. And so uh, these people would, would typically get, um, because they're high-grade sarcomas, they would get a chest x-ray or a CAT scan uh, every three months for the first two years after their treatment, and then every six months for another three years, and then annually for another uh, five years. So it's a total of 10 years of surveillance afterwards. And just to clarify for the patients with myxoid liposarcoma, the total body MRI, are you doing that regardless of any other features they see on under the microscope for this as far as the round cell component? Or is this for all, all comers with myxoid liposarcoma? Yeah, we would pretty much do them for all people with myxoid liposarcoma. Yeah, because they, I mean, the, the, the round cell subtype, um, which is a subtype of a subtype, really. Um, if I, it's, it's, it's really unusual. Uh, it does um, tend to um, suggest a more aggressive clinical course. And um, these patients may, you know, a little bit more frequently get lung metastases, but they still do often have um, uh, other unusual sites of metastases. You know, I can tell you, uh, when we look back at our, at our series, and we had about, I think it was about 140 patients with, with myxoid liposarcoma, we only had one patient who developed lung-only metastases. Everybody else who had metastases uh, had either a combination of lung and other sites or other sites alone. And, and the, the uh, round cell subtype would have been included in that as well. Great. I think, again, this, this whole discussion highlights uh, the importance of, of having really close communication with all the other providers that we work with and and the importance of research as well. We continue to learn new things going forward as we start to get greater numbers of this very rare tumor um, and can figure out how to take care of patients and surveil them long-term um, with that information. All right. And, and so the next question, so we've talked so far, we've talked about how patients present, what we do to diagnose them, how we treat them, which would be for a lot of these, a negative margin resection uh, with less of a margin taken for a well-differentiated. Um, and then you, we treat, we surveil the patients. What about that small group of people who have recurrent disease, who have a local recurrence? Um, what uh, is your general approach for treatment for those patients? So in many ways, um, we, we treat it like they're presenting with their primary tumor with a couple of caveats. Um, you know, we certainly look at the local extent of the tumor. Um, you know, is it something that we would be, that we would deem limb salvageable? Um, meaning, you know, can we remove it while still maintaining good function and not having to remove multiple nerves and blood vessels and bone and so on? So, um, if, if we think it is limb salvageable, then the next question we want to ask is, again, do we need adjuvant treatment? Do we need radiation to go along with it? And a lot of the times in these local recurrences, uh, we do. So the question is, is it safe to treat people with radiation if they've had radiation previously? And um, in, in general, it's possible. Um, you know, this is a really important discussion to have with your radiation oncologist. And um you know, it may change a little bit how you approach uh, the patient in terms of their resection, but also steps that you take to help mitigate complications, which which we can talk about. But 
Um, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, you really have to ask your radiation oncologist, like, is it safe to give this person another course of radiation? Um, really, and what that comes down to is prognosticating long-term effects on the normal tissues. If the radiation oncologist says, yes, we think that we can give them further radiation um, and, you know, minimize the risk of these long-term complications, long-term effects on normal tissue, and you think you can remove this tumor safely without having to sacrifice these critical structures, then usually it's, it's okay to go ahead and do combined treatment, radiation and limb salvage surgery on locally recurrent disease. Yeah, and for, uh, for our listeners, the radiation oncology is also another key role player uh, in treatment of sarcomas, and, and that's, um, we do plan on having a radio, radiation oncologist on in future episodes to really shed some more light uh, on some of that discussion. Um, but definitely good to see, you know, what what effects playing as a or going after these sarcomas as a team uh, plays. Yeah, just it's it is so so important. I mean, I I would say uh, it, it, that's really the standard of care. If um, sarcomas are being treated uh, without input from a multidisciplinary team, without input from radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, surgeons, pathologists, radiologists they're not meeting the standard of care. So, you know, that's probably a good thing for patients to ask uh, when they've had a treatment recommended to them, say, you know, was this discussed at a, at a multidisciplinary cancer conference or tumor board uh, with a multidisciplinary team? And, and if it wasn't, then, you know, patients absolutely deserve that. So patients should say, look, I, I'd like this to be discussed at a multidisciplinary cancer conference. Yeah, that's a, a really great point um, and why it's important for these to be taken care of at, at centers where sarcomas are treated with regularity. Um, yeah. They're obviously very, very unique, very challenging. Everyone's a little bit different. And so we always have to put a lot of factors into perspective. And so it's important to have that opportunity to have that discussion. So, um, yeah, I think it's good for patients to understand that uh, that's something they should be looking for in their care. And if they're not at a place like that, then they can, you know, ask for a referral or, or look for another opinion to get that information. I, I find it gives patients a lot of comfort. Um, you know, when I say to them, you know, especially if it's a, you know, catastrophic recommendation, you know, that, that like an amputation, or I, I recommend to them this huge operation that is going to, you know, cause some permanent disability if I say to them, look, this is not just me recommending this to you. This is a, a room full of, you know, a dozen or so uh, experts um, in all different disciplines recommending this to you. Uh, then it gives them a lot more comfort to know that this is this is the proper, um, you know, the proper course of action. Right. Yeah. And because sometimes they'll be meeting with those individuals uh, on their own as well, but sometimes practically speaking, it makes more sense to have that discussion before they can see each of those different types of providers. But that uh, definitely is is really important to be able to share that with the patient, that it's not just your personal opinion, but there's a team of experts behind you who have uh, put a lot of thought and effort into that. Right. And, so. and it gives them a lot more confidence in the system when, you know, you, maybe you see them first as a surgeon, they go see the radiation oncologist and, and the medical oncologist, and, and they've all given them the exact same message. Uh, it gives them much more confidence in the system than if everybody's giving, giving them a different opinion. Yeah, definitely. Well, great. Well, I think that was a really good discussion. I think we're kind of getting to the point where we'll summarize what we talked about today, but do you have any other thoughts that 
you think are relevant to share, Dr. Ferguson, before we uh, move on to our summary? I, I, you know, I think uh, the most important thing for patients uh, to know, um, and uh, I think Kurt Weiss uh, alluded to this in his in his talk, that these are all treatable and curable tumors. Um, and you know, patients often think, okay, because you, you know, we know patient patients often present in, in you know a little bit delayed because they've had a lump there for a long time, and and maybe they ignored it, or or their family doctor didn't pay attention to it, and then they wonder. Um, you know, is it too late? Uh, and oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes, uh, you know, we're still able to help even if they have, uh, you know, large tumors, um, uh, you know, with the combination of the treatments that, that we've talked about, the outcomes in general are really, really good for sarcomas. And, and you know, these are the same as, as you know, as other types of sarcomas. And that, you know, in general, we cure the majority of people who have sarcoma. And that's, you know, with, with just radiation and surgery alone. So I think it's important that patients know that, um, that there's a lot of bad information out there. Um, you know, you guys are doing a great job uh, correcting a lot of that bad information and that patients should know they go to a reliable source like, like you have here, that they're going to get good information and that these patients are, these tumors rather are treatable and curable. Definitely. Yeah. And thank you for that, that vote of confidence. And we're, we're, we're trying to continue spreading information with help from other experts like yourself. So appreciate you coming on today for that. Yes. I uh, know that's, I mean, that was, that was really excellent. <laughs> yeah. So to, to summarize, I guess, some of the points we talked about today. So liposarcoma is the cancerous or malignant version of a fatty tumor. Uh, that's sort of adjacent to our previous episode where we talked about lipomas or atypical lipomatous tumors. There's in general four major subtypes. So the well-differentiated liposarcoma, which is referred to it as in that name when it's in the, the abdomen or retroperitoneum, but has the name of atypical lipomatous tumor in the extremities. And then the second type would be the dedifferentiated liposarcoma that's generally in the setting of a prior atypical lipomatous tumor, um, a discrete area that has uh, transformed into a malignant process. And then there's the myxoid liposarcoma subtype, which as we highlighted is very sensitive to radiation. Uh, and then the brown cell subtype of that, we, we touched on very briefly. And uh, the pleomorphic subtype would be the fourth major subtype of uh, liposarcomas. This is the most rare, but also um, generally the most aggressive subtype. And so um, just to add to that, we know the myxoid liposarcomas staying on this can have uh, metastasis that go outside of the lung to different parts. And these are what we call extrapulmonary. Um, and we do know the well-differentiated liposarcomas or the atypical lipomotors tumor they generally have the best outcomes uh, in terms of local recurrence, and they do not uh, metastasize. And um, we know for patients with soft tissue sarcomas, uh, radiation uh, in combination with surgery often is uh, an important way for us to do the surgery, but also remove the tumor and preserve the limb uh, without causing too much damage to the nearby neurovascular structure, so nerves and blood vessels. Um, uh, with that said, it's important to note that with uh, every uh, patient, every case, uh, they're always unique. And for each treatment 
and diagnosis, depending on the discussion with your team of physicians. If you would like more information, please feel free to check out the links as well as the articles that are attached to the episode description. Um, next episode, we'll be discussing going back to bones. We'll be discussing Ewing sarcoma. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to subscribe to our podcast uh, and or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sarcoma Insight Podcast. Sarcoma Insight.